following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, grab your Bibles and go to Exodus chapter 8. We're going to be in chapters 8 and 9 for our message, God's Provision, Our Decision. The following is a true story about a pastor of a church. This pastor had a kitten that climbed up a tree in his backyard and then was afraid to come down. The pastor coached, offered warm milk, all the rest, and the kitty would just not come down out of the tree. The tree was not sturdy enough to climb, so the pastor decided that he would tie a rope to his car, and he drove away so that the the tree bent down, and he figured that if he just went a little bit further, the, the tree would be low enough where he could get the kitten out of the tree. But as he moved a little further forward, the rope broke. The tree went boink. And the kitten instantly sailed through the air out of sight. Well, the pastor, I mean, he felt terrible. He walked all over the neighborhood asking people, have you seen a stray kitten? No, nobody had seen a kitten. So he prayed, Lord, I just commit this kitten to your keeping. And he went on about his business. A few days later, he was at the grocery store and he met one of his church members. He happened to look into her shopping cart and was amazed to see cat food. Now, this woman was a cat cat hater, and everybody knew it. And so he asked her, why are you buying cat food when you hate cats so much? And she replied, you won't believe this, and told how her little girl had been begging for a cat, but she kept refusing. Then a few days before, the child had begged again, and the mom finally told her, well, if God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. She told the pastor, I watched my child go out in the backyard, get on her knees, and ask God for a cat. And really, pastor, you won't believe this, but I saw it with my own eyes. A kitten suddenly came flying out of nowhere with its paws outstretched and landed right in front of my daughter. (laughs) Never underestimate the power and the provision of God. We come to these next plagues. Uh, We've covered the first two plagues already in the last couple of weeks. The first plague was water that turned into blood. The second plague was of the frogs that Pastor Craig handled so well. Last Sunday, I watched that message, and I want to encourage you, if you didn't see it, to go to our YouTube site, to go to our YouTube channel or our Facebook page, and you can watch it from last week. We saw the first two rounds of the battle of the gods, and it goes to Jehovah God, the one true God. Now let's read the next four plagues. The third plague is gnats. Now I know what you're probably thinking, uh, gnats wouldn't be too much of a problem But if you've ever visited the low country, you've ever been uh, down near uh, Hilton Head or or, or Beaufort area, then you know that they are a big problem. We lived in that area for seven years, and they have these little things they call uh, sand gnats or noceums. And let me tell you, they are awful. They're painful. I can see how painful a plague of gnats would be. Whatever you happen to call them, uh, you don't want to mess with sand gnats. Look at verses uh, 16 and 19 of Exodus 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. Verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. 
And then we see the fourth plague, which is flies, verses uh, 20 through 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. The first no-fly zone was in Goshen, where the children of Israel lived, okay? The fifth plague, Egyptian livestock die. Look at Exodus 9, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. Now skip down to verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And then finally, the sixth plague of bulls. Look at uh, Exodus 9, beginning verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become bowls breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Look at verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. I heard the other day, and I didn't want to just assume it to be true, so I had to find it out for myself. Some of you who know a lot about science or, or physics may already know this, but I read that you can take a paper cup, not a plastic one, and you can hold it over a flame, and that cup will burn. Now, of course, we all know that, right? We know common sense. But I also heard that if you put water in the cup, and you hold the cup with water over the flame, that the cup will not burn. The water may boil, it may get hot, but the water protects the cup from the flame. Now, I thought about that, and I said, well, i got to check this out for myself. So, I came here to church, okay? I didn't want to burn my house down. <laughs> I didn't want to burn the church down either, okay? But I felt like it was more sacred here, okay? And if anything happened, you know, we had things to fire extinguishers. So, I, I tried it, and sure enough, it worked. I experimented, here's what I found. Without the water in the cup, the paper burns. But with the water in the cup, the cup didn't burn. Because the cup contains water and thus prevents the flame from igniting the paper. And that's due to the absorption of heat by the water. Now I want us to keep that picture in our minds because if God provides, we have to decide to accept his protection. You see, the Holy Spirit as believers lives inside of us and as we have that protection and that provision by His Holy Spirit, think about all the things that we're protected from that those in the world who don't have the Holy Spirit living in them are not protected from. Think about uh, Moses and Aaron and how they trusted the Lord and obeyed Him and they were protected in many ways and how Pharaoh and the Egyptians were not. So here's the key. The provision of, made available to us 
is something we have to accept, something we have to respond to. Just like Pharaoh had the opportunity to let God's people go. In fact, it wasn't just one opportunity or a couple of opportunities. It was time and time again, God gave Pharaoh the opportunity to let my people go. And what does it say? The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible says Pharaoh wouldn't bend. He wouldn't yield. He wouldn't give in to God's will. And then eventually, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So let's refresh our memory for a moment. You remember Moses went out into that uh, wilderness and he saw that burning bush and uh, he told Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And you remember that Moses said, you know, well, you know, I'm not good at this. I can't speak very well. And he said, well, you know, take Aaron with you. And so that's what they did. They they appeared before Pharaoh and, and they said, Jehovah has said, Let my people go that they may sacrifice to me. And you remember, Pharaoh said pretty much, no way. So Moses and Aaron, by the power of God, caused a plague, as it were, to come upon the waters of Egypt, and the waters turned to blood. And then the scriptures say the second plague was the plague of of frogs. And Pharaoh said, you know, at that point, well, it's enough. Now, it really wasn't Pharaoh at that point. I, I know who put the pressure on Pharaoh. It was Mrs. Pharaoh, right? I mean, she said, I don't like these frogs, you know. And Pharaoh being the, the good leader in the home that he was, he said, yes, dear. You know, yes, dear. We'll, we'll get rid of the frogs. And so Pharaoh calls Moses and he says, get rid of the frogs and I'll let the people go. But understand the thrust from that passage, Moses was saying to Pharaoh, you've got to admit you have a problem. You've got to admit these frogs are not good. And Pharaoh said, yeah, I know that, but I'm going to wait until tomorrow to take care of that. So Pharaoh made the decision to live with his problem longer than he needed to. And that's what I've come to share about your life and about my life. And that's a question. Is there anything you're living with now that you should give to God and let him take it from you? And wouldn't it be a blessing not to have to live with your burden any longer? Not even a minute longer. But we need to make that decision. We need to ask, Lord, take this from me. Lord, provide what I need. You see, God will not force you to turn over your burden to him, but he will take it from you if you yield yourself to him. God will provide, but you've got to decide. Now, let me get right down to where we live. It was Andrew Murray who said, God is ready to assume full responsibility of the life wholly yielded to him. Some of you are not wholly yielded to God today. I mean, you're partially yielded. You come to church on Sunday morning, but you neglect him the rest of the week. You pray at mealtimes, but rarely at other times. You toss a few dollars into the lot boxes as an offering, but it's nowhere near the tithe that God requests. The 10% of your income, of your blessings, of your gifts, of, of whatever God has given you. And the Lord is saying, you know, you've come a little ways. That's good. I commend that. But I want you to go farther. I want you to go deeper. And here's the application for us. As much as we take responsibility to yield to Christ... Conversely, we must assume full responsibility for not yielding to him. You see, to not yield to Christ is to reject the wisdom of God in favor of our own limited understanding. And no good can come from that. 
Instead, we end up with a life that has traded God's higher purposes with what we think are purposes, but they really are not anything of any eternal value. In 2 Chronicles 16, 8 and 9, God talks about a time when Israel had, had rejected God. Don't you remember the Bible says what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time you relied on the, the Lord and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. When God told Moses to, to go to Pharaoh, he came up with a lot of excuses but it came down to his encounter with God, the burning bush, and he finally said one word that God wants to hear from all of us. And the one word God wants to hear is yes. He knows our circumstances. He knows our circumstances. Sorry, that's not on the screen. The one word God wants from you is yes, he knows your circumstances. A young man was appointed president of a bank. Uh, he was intimidated by the new responsibilities, and he nervously asked the advice of his gray-haired predecessor. He said, sir, what has been the secret of your success? The secret, young man, is two words, right decisions. But how do you make right decisions, he asked. One word, experience. But how do you get experience, he asked again. And the old man replied, two words, wrong decisions now there's another way to make right decisions without first having to make wrong decisions and learn the hard way and that is simple obedience when God calls when God speaks you simply obey and when we obey God's will for our lives we don't have to go down a hard path of having rejected him Deuteronomy 5.33 says, Walk in obedience in all that your Lord God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Apply this to making decisions about how you spend your spare time. I mean, maybe you have a little bit of spare time or maybe you have a lot of spare time. While there's nothing wrong with downtime or, or taking a break or getting rest, there is something wrong with laziness, idleness, and wasting your time. There's something wrong with spending a vast majority of our free time in pursuits that don't last beyond this life. Take, for example, watching TV. Being from a law enforcement family, I enjoy watching TV programs like Blue Bloods and, and the NCIS series. And, and yet, at the same time, we can spend time watching shows without neglecting our other responsibilities. You can apply this to, to video games or, or hunting or fishing or, or sports or shopping or anything else that gets our attention. We've got to make the choice between surrendering our all to God or not because you either respond to the finger of God as he points at you in judgment or he points you to forgiveness and salvation. We find this in the first part of verse 19. Where the Bible says, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. I thought about all those times in the Bible where the Bible talks about the finger of God. It was the finger of God that wrote on the stone tablets in Exodus 31, 18. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It was the finger, finger of God that wrote on Belshazzar's wall, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting, 
Daniel 5, 5. It was a finger of God that wrote in the dust, causing the accusers of the woman caught in adultery to drop their stones that they were ready to hurl at her and execute her that Jesus wrote in John 8, 6. So, we see the finger of God is something that God either points to you in judgment or he points you toward salvation and forgiveness. The choice is up to you. The scene was dramatic here. The magicians had been humbled by the power of God. They had failed in their attempt to help the king and the people. And their only hope was to try to convince Pharaoh this is the finger of God. And that's what they declare and that's what they say. Basically what they're saying is all God had to do was lift his finger and send all these plagues as judgment upon the land. He didn't even need his arm. He didn't even need his hand. He just needed his finger. And note this fact well. One of the protecting gods of the Egyptians was the god of the earth called Set, S-E-T. People obviously prayed to this God for protection from natural disasters and and famines that could come and anything from uh, keeping fruitful crops from bearing. Then when Moses threw a hand of dust, a handful of dust in the air, and God sent forth uh, gnats, the truth was... They saw who was in charge of the land. They saw who was in charge of creation. It wasn't the Egyptian God, nor any other man-made God. It was the Lord God, the great I Am, Jehovah himself. You see, the finger and the very power of God himself controls all things. Think about this for a moment. The finger of God controls the most basic elements of life. All forces, All particles, electrons, neutrons, protons. The finger of God controls all chemicals, all gas, all DNA, all cells, both uh, animal as well as human. Whatever is the most minute element or building block of existence, God's finger has created it and controls it. That's exactly what scripture says. Listen to Exodus 8, 28. Look there in your Bibles. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you must not go very far away. Although Pharaoh offered a compromise to Moses, Moses didn't compromise his convictions or faithfulness to the Lord. He chose to wholeheartedly follow God. And herein lies our key to success as well. You see, the goal is not to see how closely we can walk to the world, but how far we can distance ourselves from its mindset. C.S. Lewis taught that every time you make a choice, you are turning that central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as as a lifelong journey... You are slowly turning this central thing into either a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is harmony with God or a creature that with itself and of itself is one that is separated from God and even in a state of war with God. To be the one kind of creature is heaven is to enjoy peace and, and knowledge and power. To be the other brings horror. Eternal loneliness. And each one of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a transition that takes place here with the plagues. From this point on, the plagues no longer affect the people of God. Think about it for us today. We can take heart for the effects of the curse which plague our planet today will not torment us forever. We're on our way to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey where every tear will be wiped away for everyone forever. You see, certain tragedies are common to all. Others we bring on ourselves when we live like the world. Exodus 9, 7 says, And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Water turned to blood. Frogs and lice covered the land. Egyptian and Hebrew alike were suffering. But when it came to livestock, there was a division between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. You see, in certain areas, there remains a division between the believer and the unbeliever. I can tell you categorically that I will never suffer from alcoholism because I don't drink alcohol and never will. This does not mean, however, that I will escape cancer or a bad back or a heart trouble. No, certain tragedies are universal. Others we bring upon ourselves by our worldly choices. Our bad choices. One of the greatest mistakes any of us can make is the tragedy of putting off until tomorrow doing what we know we need to do today. A father and daughter, that ought to be the closest of all human relationships, at least one of the closest. But there was this one father and daughter I read about that had a falling out. There were some words spoken, there was some anger, there were some hurt feelings, and they misunderstood each other, and as a result, they were not speaking. One day, the father had a heart attack. He was rushed to the hospital in the intensive care unit, and he was able to communicate to one of the nurses, call my daughter. This is her number, and he mouthed the words, the digits to the number. So that's what the nurse did. She made the call. The daughter was at home. She said, your father has just had a heart attack. He's in intensive care, gave the name of the hospital, and said he wants to see you. The daughter rushed to the hospital. She walked through the swinging doors that led back into the intensive care unit of the hospital. She reached the area where the severe patients were kept. She stood there in an area and this nurse approached her and said, who are you? And she said her name and she said, oh yes, I called you. I'm sorry. It's too late. We just lost him. She said, did he say anything about me? The nurse said, I'm sorry. He didn't say anything. And the daughter turned around, walked outside that little area into the hallway, and she stood against the wall, and she sobbed like a baby. And she cried out, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, forgive me. And with all the compassion I have in my heart, let me say it was too late for them, but it's not too late for us. You see, one of the tragedies about tomorrow is tomorrow can be too late. Exodus 9, 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken 
to Moses. If there's anything we can learn from the life of Pharaoh that we shouldn't do, is that we shouldn't put off until tomorrow what we know we need to do today. Someone has said the favorite word of the devil is tomorrow. If the devil has a favorite word, it's tomorrow. And a lot of people have died and gone to a devil's hell with tomorrow on their lips. And Jesus says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn to me. Come, come and follow me now. It amazes me sometimes uh, how we Christians act like we need to educate God. I mean, who are we dealing with? The intention might be good. I mean, I know I need to. I, I, I know God wants me to, but I'm not going to do it right now. I, I'll do it later. Sometimes you can wait too late. Sometimes you can wait too late until you tell somebody that you love them. Sometimes you can wait too late until you confess your sins. Sometimes you can live with the lies too long that when you get rid of them, if you wouldn't have put it off, it wouldn't have been so bad. And one of the greatest tragedies we bring upon ourselves is we procrastinate. We know what God is calling us to do, but we just put it off until later. Do you remember a few years back, there was a ferry that leaned on its side on, on the English Channel. And one of the reports uh, from the TV, one that's, that stuck out like glue, was one passenger who survived said this, what I heard people saying more than anything else as the water rushed in, they were telling each other, that they loved each other. Now, I'm not here to put a guilt trip on all of us, but if there is somebody you need to let know that you love them and that you appreciate them, now's the time. You've been telling yourself, you know, I'm going to communicate that positive word to them, but you haven't. Now is the day to quit putting it off. Maybe there's some sin in your life. You know the sin. You've been covering it up. You've been hiding it. You've been saying, one day I'm going to take care of it. Well, this morning is the victory you can have when you surrender that sin to God. Not tomorrow, today. Don't live with that burden any longer. Some of you may be doing things to harm your body. You're convicted that it's wrong. Whatever it is, you need to tell God, today I'm going to give that up. I'm going to kick this habit. It's something I've been planning to do but you know what? Life goes by so fast. I kind of felt that this past week when I went to the first church I pastored. We left there 21 years ago, and it seems like yesterday. To see these people that we ministered to and served alongside of in the blink of an eye, 21 years passed by. Stop making excuses. Moses made excuses, and, and he was in the wilderness for 40 years before God sent him to Pharaoh. The Israelites made excuses and they spent 40 years in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste 40 years of my life. Someone says, well, I smoke a little weed every now and then. You got to understand, that's the way I, I get relaxation. That's the way I have a lot of tension. I just get away and, and smoke a little bit. Others say, you know, I drink socially. After all, we don't want to be left out of these social circles with our job. And alcohol just calms me down and helps me fit in. Someone says, I know he's not a Christian, but he's getting there. And if I just keep dating him and eventually marry him, one day he's going to accept the Lord. I just know that he will. 
Pharaoh evidently came to the same conclusion. The gnats and the flies covering his land were troublesome, but he didn't have to take care of them today. He could take care of it tomorrow. And tomorrow became too late. God's provision, our decision. You know, Pharaoh came to the stark realization that the gnats and the flies and even the boils on the people's skin were too much to handle. They've got to go. But notice his heart grew even harder. I would have thought he would have said, you know, go ahead and leave. Let God lead you wherever he wants you to go. But the Bible says he wouldn't listen to the words the Lord spoke through Moses. Why? Because he wanted the gnats and the flies and the boils as long as that meant he could regain control. He could retain control. And he knew that even though they had to go, if he let his, God's people go, he wouldn't be in charge any longer. We need to stop refusing to obey God when he calls us to do whatever it is he calls us to do. There are a lot of classic films that you need to see before you leave this life. I thought about Casablanca. I thought about The Sound of Music. I thought about The Wizard of Oz. But there's one that you've just got to see before you leave, and that is The Princess Bride, okay? The Princess Bride is a popular romantic comedy. It begins at the home of Buttercup. Though dressed in drab brown clothes and clearly a peasant girl, Buttercup orders everybody around like she's royalty. Another peasant named Wesley is a laborer on Buttercup's farm, and the narrator says that Buttercup's greatest pleasure in life is tormenting Wesley. She refers to him as farm boy and makes liberal use of her authority as she orders him around. Yet no matter how menial the task, Wesley always responds the same way, as you wish. Though Buttercup is incredibly condescending, Wesley is the model servant. He never refuses her demands and his attitude is kind and willing. The narrator reveals that one day Buttercup has a precious insight. That day she was amazed to discover that when he was saying as you wish, what he really meant was I love you. Buttercup's realization that Wesley was communicating his love for her through his servanthood was a remarkable spiritual parallel for us. Listen to 1 John 5, 3. We read, this is love for God to obey his commands. And if we truly love God, we will obey him, and our obedience will really show that we love him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.